0: Ideas are everywhere. Welcome to Lessons Learned in Marketing, the Phoenix Group Podcast. I'm your host, David Bellarive, and my guest today is Leah Olson, and she is a leader in the agriculture industry, especially, well, across Canada, but especially here in Saskatchewan. She's been a part of uh, executive leadership teams, and her most recent role has been uh, the CEO of Dot Technology and Seedmaster Manufacturing. Leah talks about her roots, her passion for agriculture and agri-manufacturing, the need and the opportunity for marketing and branding in agriculture, and Leah gives us great insight into team building and leadership overall. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the podcast. I thank you so much for coming in today. Oh, I'm super excited to be here. So... Uh, I want to talk about kind of agriculture, where things are headed, women in agriculture. But maybe first, could we talk about you, sort of... uh uh, for those who don 't know you a little bit about your background and uh, how you got to where you are today
1: oh, well it 's always a fun question to ask people because most uh, most people haven 't gone the way that you would think. Um, so I grew up on a farm grain farm uh, just north of Tompkins, which is in the southwestern corner of saskatchewan and Uh, It's a population less than 100, I think. Um, Our class size was 6 to 8, depending on how certain people did in the the year (laughs) or if people moved or didn't move. Um, I graduated... um, from high school here in Regina, um, my dad was an inventor slash farmer. And so depending on who was asking, I would either say my dad's an inventor, which sounded super cool in some areas, or I would say he's a farmer, which sounded super cool in the areas where inventor maybe sounded crazy. Um, so we moved to the city, graduated from high school, um, from Sheldon Williams, and then went on to do an undergrad and graduate degrees at Concordia University in Montreal. Um, I've worked pretty much in agriculture in some sort of way all throughout my career and came back to Saskatchewan in 2013, um, really to be closer to my family and to my dad specifically. Um, And that has brought me very much back to agriculture. My husband farms um, happily just south of the city. And so... It's been a great ride, and um, you know I think because I'm passionate about agriculture, it's an easy fit in terms of a career choice for me.
0: And I guess growing up on a farm, did you see agriculture and farming as a business always?
1: No, never. Um, I mean, keeping in mind, I grew up in Saskatchewan in the 80s and early 90s. And so I recall dust storms. And, you know, that's when we were using a lot of tillage and cultivation. So the farm practices have you know, thank goodness they've they've evolved since then. And um, so, when I was a kid, looking at the opportunity, I never considered farming something that I would do. Primarily because I was a, a, you know, it just wasn't an option. The commodity prices were low, interest rates were hovering around eighteen to twenty eight percent. So financially, it just didn't make sense. Um, But it's always been something that I've been passionate about, and so I was really, I'm, I'm still very grateful for the opportunity to be in the industry and to work with the people that I do. I think many people that are my age have come back to the industry or, you know, they have stayed within agriculture. But as a result of many people within my generation, 40-ish type thing, um, you know, leaving and then coming back, I think it makes for stronger business decisions and definitely an appreciation for the ups and downs, the cyclicality of of farming.
0: Now, um, you've kind of migrated and and, uh, there's a... Strong career path towards manufacturing, and mm-hmm. uh, does that come from your dad being an inventor? And uh, yeah. I guess was there manufacturing there as well? With um, with it was a hitch. The drop pin, yeah, (laughs) yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, I think that my fascination with farm equipment uh, definitely comes from my dad, and when we were farming, essentially in no disrespect for those in the Tompkins or the you know the that area, but uh, we were essentially farming in the middle of nowhere. So if something, if a piece of equipment went down, you had to fix it, and. You know, dad is someone who was never satisfied with the status quo. And so the first farm show I worked, I was 12. That was in 87, I think. And he won an innovation award. And there was a lot of people around that thought, oh, that is the most simple thing. I can't believe I didn't invent it. And I think that sort of seed of innovation is within many in the farm industry because, you have to find a way to be efficient, particularly when you're farming. And there's not, uh, you know, a service technician around or close, and so you have to be a problem solver. So, you know, fast forward to 2015 when I um, was approached to become AMC's the president, the Agricultural Manufacturers of Canada. It did seem like a natural fit because I enjoy the manufacturing industry. I enjoy equipment, and perhaps most importantly, I enjoy working with farmers whether they're you know male or female it doesn't really matter I think that there's a lot of really interesting things happening in the industry right now the emergence of hemp coming out um, the you know organic versus conventional the trade relations and some of the things that are going on with india and china right now you know there's no shortage of interesting um topics that you can cover and worst case scenario talk about the weather so
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah always the weather yeah <laughs> yeah exactly how do you see agriculture right now as uh as a business what what kind of opportunities are are out there
1: well i believe st- you know strongly that um, there is a requirement to feed the world, and the question right now is, will farmers conventional farmers be permitted to grow their food and we know that we don't have to have any world food shortages we just don't we have the capability to be highly productive, but it comes down to the science and the emotion of of selling that and You know, so when I look at the future of the industry, I'm a little concerned, to be honest, that, you know, consumers who are very far from what actually happens on the farms, conventional farms, will, you know, dictate that they will not eat certain types of food. And, I mean, I'll eat... Anything off of our off of the farm um, always have and probably always will, but that fear and that emotion for the for those who are more in the urban settings worries me because they you know there's there's I, I understand when when you're a mother or a father and someone's saying to you this food could um, harm you it's very similar to the vaccine movement and the anti vaccine movement where we know that we can get rid of major major diseases and yet. Mm-hmm. The emotion of a vaccine um, is holding us back from completely eradicating certain diseases so I think you know the the future of agriculture is going to depend quite a bit on the consumers and to a certain degree the marketing of the industry to those who don't understand it. But on the flip side, you know, we're seeing some really neat things happening with artificial intelligence, with automation, and, you know, many of it, much of it coming out of um, Saskatchewan with Dot Technology Corp, or on the automation side and in artificial intelligence, companies like um, artificial intelli- or precision agriculture. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some really neat things. And I think because Saskatchewan has such a large number of Farmers, it lends itself well to being an agriculture superpower because for those that aren't on the farm, we can and should be thinking about how can we help farmers be more efficient and help them be profitable in a sustainable way.
0: I always find it interesting that we, you know, I'm not from Saskatchewan and and living Mm -hmm. here, you understand or you see really uh, that that we are an agriculture superstar, but yet we don't seem to get the cred for that anywhere. And I, and is that a marketing problem or is that just because we're so small or why, why do we sit in that spot of being, I guess, uh, not as, not as respected. is isn't the right word, but not acknowledged or not given that, that credit for, for the work that's happening here and, and, and the, amazing abilities that are Mm -hmm. of of people here.
1: Well, I think, you know, Saskatchewan, because, I mean, the other thing that we are is we're very rural. You know, when you look at the proximity between Saskatoon and Regina or, you know, Swift Current, um, our larger centers, Prince Albert, our larger centers are quite a distance away. And so there's a natural... I think affinity for those of us that do come from smaller towns to not be overly boastful about where we come from and, and what we've accomplished, because in a smaller community, if you're that person, you might find yourself isolated pretty quickly. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. Um, you know, in the larger centers where I've lived, there's usually a curiosity about what is it like to grow up on a farm, mm-hmm. and you know when i tell people that my dad changed the hitching industry across north america and has received countless awards they're always really interested in hearing more so you know i think it, it can be difficult to be loud and proud mm-hmm. about your accomplishments and if it's not if you're not comfortable doing that then by no means you know, you don't have to. But I think that having cheerleaders within the province, you know, Murad Al-Khatib is, is a very big um, cheerleader. Bill Gruel, um, president and CEO of Protein Industries Canada, he's got a, a mandate that is large. But, you know, one of the things that I know that Bill will be doing is getting really excited about some of the technologies coming out of the Western Canadian provinces. So I think having cheerleaders is really important, and I, perhaps you know there is and there's definitely a need to have strong marketing and public relations because there's the old saying if you don't tell people what you've done does it really matter? Mm-hmm. And I, I do think that that is relevant, particularly in the agriculture industry, um, because. I mean, we can use the example that I referenced earlier, where consumers aren't aware of all of the good stuff that's happening. Yeah. You know, no-till technology. Um, you know, we've reduced redundant applications of um, of herbicides and pesticides. I mean, that's it's tremendous. Yeah. We've reduced the fuel consumption on farms. So,
0: who should be telling these stories? It's almost like everyone wants or knows them, but it's like. Who's the voice, I guess, in that?
1: Well, I, I think it's up to... I'm, this maybe sounds a little funny, but I, th- I think it is the responsibility of our business leaders mm-hmm. um, to be doing it and to recognize that, you know, when they don't know how or if it becomes a little overwhelming to engage professionals um, to help them out. You know, marketing is such... A, a unique, and I think there's with social media now. It's kind of like journalism. Everybody thinks that they can be a marketer or a journalist, and the reality is that a really good marketer is going to help you do better during the good times, and they're going to help you do well during the the conditions, you know, the market conditions that aren't great. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely a role in that. Um, but I do think the business community overlooks the requirement for that um, simply because they're they're too concerned about am I going to be, you know m- making sure that my customers are are happy? And obviously there is a, a need to do that. But telling sort of the broader stories, um, sometimes that probably gets overlooked.
0: McDonald's did that great campaign uh, where they sort of just opened opened up the back room and said, we're going to be transparent. This is what's in our burgers and we're going to meet the farmers and all the rest of that. And it was, it, I mean, it had a tremendous impact and uh, surprisingly looking back at it, it's like, well, that was pretty easy actually. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, and I think that's where transparency in uh, how you speak to your customers or or would be customers is really important. Uh, In contrast, A&W and Earl's I think are still You know, dealing with the repercussions of how they managed their food selections. And, you know, those are just two very, or three, I guess, very different um, approaches to the you know, the beef industry specifically that have had longer term repercussions. But definitely, you know, I applaud McDonald's for what they've done, because they have been transparent. And I think when you don't tell people what's happening, they will make it up. And that's human nature. And so as a business leader, it's important to ensure that you are transparent about what you, you know, what you're doing. Because if you don't, people will make it up. And what they say is not always great
0: so you mentioned a and w mm-hmm. and i wanted to talk to you about and you mentioned protein industries canada yeah. so we are or regina is i guess the headquarters for pick and uh a and w with their beyond meat burger the the whole plant protein uh movement is uh just seems to be unstoppable i mean the government uh of canada introduced the new food guide and it had you know more plant protein it it seems like an amazing opportunity right now for Regina for Saskatchewan what do you think that looks like for our province or could look like?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that it's, you know, with um, the Canadian Wheat Board not being in place anymore, one of the things that I had hoped would happen sooner is to get food processing, um, you know, in the prairies or to have it happening on Canadian soil. Um, So when we look at opportunities... To do more with plants, I think that it's something we should all be celebrating because it means that we have more food choice and what a great way to um, to be able to feed the world. On the flip side, I think we do have to be a bit careful not to suggest that there's something better or worse, the vegetable protein versus the beef industry or, you know, versus the the meat. Um, But I see major potential in what is happening, you know, the the people in India, but also those in Canada and North America that are wanting plant-based protein, um, we have the technology to feed them, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And so my hope is that we will, in that way, continue to be a world leader in food production.
0: Is is that something that um, we can... We can I guess own as a brand or as uh, as that for Saskatchewan for Regina or
1: yeah I you know i th- I think that we will see that over the over the coming years um I think we've got so many uh, ranchers that are still involved in the beef industry that you know if we see it as a um a zero sum game then that's not going to work out very well whereas if we recognize that this isn't you know more for plant protein based um food means less on the meat side um you know if we look at it from that perspective then we definitely will need you know people to make informed decisions Mm -hmm. but i do see the growing populations such that there's space for both you know Plant-based protein and um, conventional um, beef, chicken, and and uh, and, and animal meat-based protein. Um, so I, I do think that um, we will be a a leader in food production, but I'm not sure that the ranchers will be comfortable making a decision. And ideally they'd be involved in both yeah. because both are going to be required, I think, and consumers, you know, have choices. And I think that that's, that's great.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if there's so many voices out there, it's hard to, yeah, you don't want one to just kind of quiet everybody else down or yeah. Like, yeah. and, and um, yeah everyone's uh, it, it all contributes to the to the bottom line and to I guess our nutrition in, in the end.
1: Yeah well and I think that that's where you know I'd like to see and my hope is that the you know the Canadian food guide is you know it is based on science and um, I'm a type 1 diabetic and so I, I you know I've since a very young young age um, been very aware of you know what I'm what I'm having to eat and You know, my worry, I guess, not that I have a lot of worries, but I I would want to ensure that when people make decisions about what to eat, that they know that, for example, organic doesn't mean more nutritious. It just means there's a difference in how it was raised. And so whether you choose organic or you choose um, something that's been raised more conventionally, they're both pretty good. Mm -hmm. And to have that abundance of food is you know, not just a privilege, but it's something that we can't take advantage of. And I think back to the early 80s when, you know, we were having major food shortages and seeing them in Ethiopia, um, you know, we don't get that now. The food shortages that are experienced now are usually because of political will or You know, bad things and have nothing to do with the fact that there's not enough food in the world. There is enough food in the world, and that is the result of major productivity gains being made by farmers and many of them in North America. So it's you know, as we think about the food conversation, I would hope that we would continue to, to make sure that we check in with what is the science and what is really going on. Because once that emotion gets in and we start to skew, and perhaps I can be accused of that, but, you know, I, I believe very strongly in conventional, um, in conventional means of, of food production. And I, you know, I think that it's, it's great to be able to have a conversation like that.
0: It's um, I'm going to flip this a little bit and talk about um, uh, um, marketing and branding Mm -hmm. in the sense that, um, you know, a a lot of consumers are are in the opportunity now is to be able to trace back your origins of your food. And I see a lot of farms, maybe not a lot. I do see farms themselves starting to get into like branding themselves. What do you see there? Is that important?
1: Yeah. I I really believe it is and there's some really neat um, this is where artificial intelligence and monitoring on the grain side is catching up to what's happened already in the livestock side Um, it's I think going to again be a part of the discourse that farmers have with consumers is that, you know, your whatever it is that um, that you're eating, this is where it was raised, and to get to know who that farmer is, um, I think is a really great opportunity to bridge the you know the two sides, and when we look at the origins of food. Once we're able to show that, I think that the consumer fear will go down. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm not saying that everybody's going to want to go out onto a farm, but most farmers are pretty open about... If you want to come out and run you know sit in the combine with me i'd be happy to answer your questions Mm -hmm. and um so i think that that'll be a really great opportunity for us to get to better understand both sides um because i think on the farmer's side they're typically very proud of you know what they're doing but oftentimes they're not even sure of exactly where their products are being exported to or what the you know which markets it's, yeah. it's going to be That's processed in? Yeah. So,
0: they are some of our biggest, biggest businesses in the province, and I know often people don't see them as like a business, but some of the producers are. Would you would you think they should be thinking about their own brand in a sense, or is that?
1: You always get into trouble when you tell a farmer what to do. Yeah,
0: and like they don't have enough to think about.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, You know, I think that branding. Is there
0: opportunity there? Maybe I should ask. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I think that there really is. Um, There's. um, I know of a couple of farmers that have done some marketing endeavors and. quite a bit of it is because they're proud of their their employees, they're they're proud of their land mm-hmm. and they're proud of what they're doing, you know, in the 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 environmental footprint that they have or that they don't have. So there is an opportunity I think for marketing and you know the challenge is that most farmers will contract to a major Um, you know grain buyer and so that grain buyer doesn't necessarily care if they have standard operating procedures for their semis or you know how they run their equipment if they're you know the type of farmer that will make sure that their drills are running pretty much 24 7 on say two or three shifts um, and making sure that employees are sleeping properly but at the end of the day you know farms' safety record and how they operate um, does, I think get into the types of product and the sustainability of the farm overall. So mm-hmm. in the first two years of operating, maybe some of those things don't matter, but in 15 to 20 years, when you're trying to continue to grow and expand the reputation that you as a farmer will have with your, with your neighbors is going to really dictate whether or not you can acquire additional land and whether mm-hmm. or not they go to you to, um, to sell.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, um, uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, kind of changing or shifting topics, because I was reading that you're uh, known as quite a team builder and mm. putting together some high performance teams. What's, what's, yeah. what's, uh, what do you look for? How do you approach building a team?
1: Um well I mean when you come in and I've come in a couple of times where you know at, at a senior level and you can choose to fire and to get rid of the team that is one approach or you can choose to promote and um it's whether you know w- Which approach you take really depends on if the team is willing and able to be coached and mentored. Um, Most recently when I uh, joined Seedmaster and DOT, my approach there, I knew that it was a very good team, and so I instantly promoted a couple of key people and was excited to do so because I knew that they were doing exceptional work and that... um, that a promotion would demonstrate that, you know, the standard is going up. And I think it's very similar to, I know you, you love dogs. Um, there's two ways, you know, I, I, somebody told me when I had a dog that, um, the best way to get her to do what I wanted was to, to congratulate her and to, to, you know, like pet her and make her praise and make sure that she's happy. And, um, and so I learned that with my dog and then I subsequently did it with, um, I used to coach quite a bit of rugby. And I subsequently did it with my rugby girls. And ironically, the last place that I did that was within um, my management practices in the workspace. Mm. And, you know, if I look back now, I think, boy, I could have done a lot of a lot more better, th- a lot better things. Had I taken that approach early on in my career, and I think that for us as you know managers, that when we are giving feedback, you know, there's always that sandwich approach. You know, for every one thing that you have is constructive feedback, put it in with two things that are positive. Um, it's I think important when you are building a team and you're trying to get everybody on the same page to recognize that the human element, there is fear of change. There is, you know, a desire to make sure that you're, you're, you know, doing good work. And most people, I think if not all people always do their best. And so as a senior person, you have to be careful about the sort of feedback that you give and ensure that you're giving constructive and, and um, you know, realistic feedback, but also don't overlook the fact that, you know, people want to know that, you know, that, that they're valued and that they are doing a good job, but maybe they need to do a a job and focus a bit more in, in a different area.
0: Oh, that's great advice. Yeah. Fantastic advice. So the podcast is lessons learned in marketing. And, uh, I'd ask you to kind of draw back and look at kind of what lessons you've learned, um, that, that could apply to marketing, uh, through maybe your, your long, short career in agriculture and manufacturing Mm
1: -hmm. lessons learned um
0: what advice would you give
1: yeah, it's, you know, the uh, something that I've been reading a lot on um, lately is the role of the chief marketing officer and the role of marketing in organizations writ large. And, you know, we we were talking earlier about, you know, when budgets get tight, often it's marketing that gets cut <laughs> first. And, you know, that bothers me because... When the market conditions are tight, that's generally when you need marketing the most um, to set you up for future success. And so the role of marketing, I think, is really vital. But the marketing team has to understand the financial um, environment. And so when they say that they want to do... you know a specific type of event if they don't relate that back to what is the return of the investment of those dollars how does this go beyond just positioning us as a leader as, as a company or whatever i mean being positioned as a leader is one aspect of you know what makes sales happen but it is important i think that marketers understand that you know when you're putting some big dollars into events and into you know different campaigns that it has to relate back to additional sales, whether it's today or or tomorrow. But you know putting a time frame in there and making sure that that actually happens and to monitor it is really key. Um, you know one of the things that I that I did when I was at um, Seedmaster and, and Dot was I pulled the marketing team closer to sales under um, one of the senior managers there, Rochelle Bojo. And I did that because I thought it was really important that the marketing team was very creative and very good. But by just subtly pulling them closer to the sales team and getting them more engaged with the sales team, my hope was to be able to, you know, help them all focus a bit more on why are we doing all of these events and these campaigns and then to get the sales team more involved because there's often this um, perspective that, well, you know, here's the marketing campaign, sales now, you guys just have to go out and do it. But increasingly, it's the voice of the consumer that is really important. And if sales and marketing aren't seeing eye to eye, then you can only imagine what the response from the CFO is going to be or the head of engineering when marketing is saying, we need more money. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm a strong believer in marketing at all times. And I'm also a strong believer that when, when times are tough, that your marketing team should be able to give you some options that help you, um, not just in the short run, but in the longer run. So that'd, that'd be one of my key lessons is the, you know just the importance of marketing
0: it's It's weird that uh and I know kind of the history of it that sales and marketing have been in these silos and they seem to uh, across a lot of companies anyway be moving together and uh, I guess unifying around the brand or around a central vision or purpose um, what um what advice would you give to kind of help that make that work because there there are some 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 friction that happens when those two teams come together um, often
1: mm-hmm yeah, well, I think it's it sometimes. I mean, it's like anything, right? If if people are speaking but nobody's hearing them, then or listening, then you're going to have challenges. So perhaps having additional conversations of just the sales and marketing teams and truly listening to each other, um, doing a bit of a hat swap, if you will, where you know if your sales team is coming in and they're meeting with marketing team, that each individual, if they are normally in sales, then you switch them so that they're in marketing. Um, the role playing can be valuable because that's where you get the assumptions that are being made on both sides come out. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it's those assumptions that are holding people back from being able to really work well together. And they may not even be aware of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that would be one way that, you know, I, I've, I've seen the sales and marketing teams work together better. Um, but definitely in the development of any marketing campaigns, um, you know, bringing sales in, or if sales team has some ideas about how the company can better market itself, you know, that open communication I think is really important because it it can result in better, um, in better campaigns to be honest. Um, I worked on a campaign uh, when I was with Pfizer Canada and it was in the vaccines area. Not surprising. And we had uh, Jane Seymour uh, come in as our key spokesperson and she was there for a very... Brief amount of time. And the way that we identified her was, I was obviously on the marketing side, and we talked to our sales team about who within the population, um, it was a campaign that was aimed at those over fifty. Um, you know, we wanted to raise awareness about pneumococcal disease and then raise awareness about that there is a vaccine available um, to help prevent pneumococcal disease in in older adults. And, you know, we all had different ideas on who is it that this age cohort will listen to. And ironically, Jane Seymour came back. And, you know, some of us sort of giggled because we think of her as a Bond girl. But um, it was because of her role as a doctor. Yeah. And she, I mean, she did an outstanding role and um, job. Answered a ton of questions, you know. Did um, it did some really good um, promotional work for for Pfizer Canada at that time. And I think that's an example of the sales and the marketing teams coming together obviously doing the the right market research mm-hmm. to understand kind of who should that spokesperson be and then um, being able to hopefully secure him or her accordingly.
0: I love that you reached out to sales I, I uh, the phrase I open this podcast with all the time is ideas are everywhere and it's one of those things that um, you know we we encourage here uh, when we have a brainstorm or any kind of uh, idea generation it's not like the creative department that has to come together. Yeah. It's, it's you know, everyone, client side, uh, the front desk, mm-hmm. you know, it, ideas do come from everywhere, but especially yeah. those people who are on the front line, they have mm-hmm. uh, a great... Knowledge and understanding of of who you're talking to, and if we do just like you say, listen, you'd be surprised sometimes. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, and I think that you know, it's uh, one of the most important people in any organization that has bricks and mortar. the The person who knows the most is the person greeting everybody at the door. Yeah. They greet employees. They greet you know um, suppliers they greet um, customers they are a huge amount of information and you know in an ideal situation they will have the ear of the senior management because they will understand really what's going on Mm
0: -hmm. yeah at least be able to identify some frictions that you know Mm -hmm. could, could be made easier yeah. Well, we're way over time, but I—it's <laughs> been fantastically. Thanks so much for for spending some time with us. Any, um, can you say anything about what's on your horizon? Or,
1: um, well, at this point, I. Um I'm a, I'm a board member of a couple of organizations. And you know I, I think, as I, I said earlier, I, I recently resigned as CEO of Seedmaster and Dot. And so I'm not exactly sure what's, where I'm going to end up. But um, I put myself through university by waitressing. So um, I can always do that. Or I can run farm equipment. Um, so, you know, and those really aren't bad scenarios. So we'll How see. How can
0: people connect with you if they want to?
1: Um, Twitter is probably the easiest. It's at Olson, O L S O N Leah L E A H or also on LinkedIn. I'm pretty, uh, pretty active on both LinkedIn and Twitter. Thank you again. Yeah. Thank you, David. I really appreciate it.